second drive from the bridge in that direction crosses the Florida state line and passes the world-renowned Floribama Lounge, a loosely constructed conglomeration of wood, brick, and tent material, most famous, I suppose, for being famous. Therefore, it is always packed, and if the wind is right, sometimes late at night I can hear strains of redneck mother or you don't have to call me darling darling from my dock. Over the past 20 years, this previously ignored coastline has increasingly become a prime destination for summer tourists and winter snowbirds drawn to the area by the turquoise water and dazzling white sand. The beach, one of the few in the world to be composed of only one mineral, and in this case it is finely crushed quartz, is part of a 100-mile stretch of beach that includes the Florida towns Panama City and Destin and is known as the Miracle Strip. Our home is situated on a dune line that rises 25 feet from the water's edge and runs east to west, affording a view of the water on both sides of the island. The landscaping is minimal at best. Here and there we've managed to coax a few flowers out of the sand and several potted palms grace the dock. Polly holds with the belief that natural is better, and I, having not forgotten the chores thrust upon me by my garden-crazy parents, am happy to agree. So, instead of grass demanding to be mowed and azalea bushes begging to be fertilized or pruned or have pine straw placed by hand around their precious roots, we have sea oats and wax myrtles and ancient oak trees growing in the sand, and they grow quite nicely without any help from me, most of the time. Last September, I noticed the largest wax myrtle on our property had begun to die. In the almost 100 years of its existence, the tree had grown to well over 40 feet, and shaded an area the size of a tennis court. It crowned the top of the dune near our kitchen porch, and boaters often noticed this magnificent monarch even before they saw the house. Because of its height and close proximity, my family was keenly aware of the tree's impending demise. By the new year, no semblance of life was left in its branches. I was surprised to find myself strangely relieved, as if an old friend had finally passed away after a struggle that had become too difficult to witness. And after a proper period of what I called mourning, and my wife termed yard work procrastination, I knew it was time to remove the tree. The wax myrtle, also known as the southern bayberry, was used by the Indians and early American colonists to make candles. Its distinctive, fragrant scent comes from volatile oils contained in tiny glands on the leaves. These oils render the tree highly flammable and remain in the tree long after it dies. Dead wood infused with combustible resin is not a good combination when it's located so near a house, and so it was with a heavy heart and a portable radio tuned to the NFL playoffs that I struck my first blow against the trunk of the tree. I am an axe man. Ever since, as a teenager, I saw the movie in which a chainsaw was the weapon of choice. I've never been especially keen on that particular sound. So instead of a quick rip and a crash, it took until early afternoon to chop down the tree and haul its scattered pieces away, leaving only the stump as a reminder that anything had been there at all. But as much as we loved the tree, no one wanted the reminder. Dig it up, my wife urged in what she felt was an encouraging voice, and I did. Granted, when surrounded by sand, a stump is not the formidable opponent it becomes when its roots have embedded themselves in clay, or a rocky soil. There is, however, something to be said for a root system having spent a hundred years in search of nourishment. Tremendous mats of stringy underground branches stretched in far larger networks than their leafy counterparts had ever accomplished in the sunshine. 
I was shocked and exhausted. I, I had a hole in the ground the size of my grandfather's Buick, and I was starting to think, in regard to my dear wife, what she doesn't know won't hurt her. I was about to reverse course and hide the roots that were left by covering up the whole mess when my shovel struck something that didn't feel like a root. For a brief moment, the shovel stuck. It was as if I had hit a monstrous wad of gum or taffy, and the sound was different. I had grown accustomed to the high-pitched swish of the steel shovel as it cut through the sand, but this tone reverberated as a dull thunk. At the time, I didn't think it sounded like metal, but that's exactly what it was. With the shovel's retreat, I exposed a hand-sized portion of rusted something. Sand poured into a slit in the object that had obviously been opened by the slicing of the shovel. On my hands and knees, I quickly pulled wads of tiny roots away from the item and with my fingers pried it loose. It was a can. I turned the heavily rusted object over in my hands, being especially...